That's right. <laughs> it seems to me, as is the case in many parables, that the central image from this particular story has perhaps taken over the story itself. That is, the image has become the story. And in this case, it is the image of the seeds. The seeds have become the story, and maybe it is because of that that the image of seeds has become common in our story, especially any story about the circumstance or situation in which we have made an effort to do something good, but we aren't sure whether that effort will bear fruit. Sometimes the situation is one of difficulty, Oftentimes, it is one of waiting for a long-term result. You are planting seeds in these young lives, we tell the teacher who has had a hard year with a few particularly difficult children. You don't know what these seeds you are planting will come to, but you have been faithful, we tell the peace activist or the community organizer or the person offering a prophetic witness. Just keep planting those seeds we tell the discouraged or frustrated parent. And when we apply the seed image that way, what we're saying is that while you can't predict what seeds will grow and what seeds won't, you have to keep planting in the soil that is right in front of you. You can't know for sure whether the seeds you cast across the earth will take root and grow or they will wither and die. You have no idea. But if the particular soil you are working with matters to you, you stay focused. You just keep planting seeds and trusting both the seed and the earth, the elements of sun and rain and the passing of the seasons. We fashion a parable of a faithful, responsible, long-suffering farmer. But in this parable, in the actual parable, it seems that the sower is not so much carefully planting seeds in the soil right at his or her feet without a sense of whether they will grow or not, as much as scattering them to the wind. It seems almost as if the farmer throws them wherever, on the beaten down path, on the rocky soil, into the midst of the brambles, as well as sometimes on the good soil. It seems like the sower is less about careful diligence, then this person is about a kind of oblivious recklessness. So, we may be inclined to ask, is the sower taking the right approach to sowing? Does the farmer know the seed is valuable? Shouldn't this person be more careful, more pious, more responsible, more particular? After all, we would be that way. Sure, the sower has to trust that the seed will sprout and can't control for all the factors of nature, but shouldn't this person be a better steward? Why is the farmer, the sower of seeds, wasting the seed on hard pathways or ground that is rocky or soil that is thin or areas filled with brambles? Sometime back, a friend of mine who was at that time an administrator in a church-related organization and also a soccer fan, made some observations about those fans who run onto the field during international soccer matches and how giving the troublemakers less attention rather than more 
might be a concept worth transferring over to other areas of life, including the sort of church-related organization of which he was a leader. He wrote, During a recent international soccer match I watched, I was struck that when a fan came streaking onto the field to cause a ruckus, the cameras moved away. That is, we didn't actually see the ruckus, we only heard about it briefly. One of the commentators mentioned that this was per FIFA's instructions. FIFA is the governing body of international soccer. While I have plenty of critique for the way FIFA is run, they're definitely on to something here. For when you give troublemakers the attention they seek, you inspire more people to make trouble. He continued, I think leaders in congregations, schools, businesses, and all sorts of organizations can learn a lot from this. Giving undue attention to bad behavior invites more bad behavior. In leadership conversations, he wrote, I've often heard this framed as the 80-20 rule. It's easy to let the most unhappy and or dysfunctional 20% of your outfit consume 80% of your time. If you've been in a leadership position, he added, think about that for a moment. Just how much time do you spend dealing with the most difficult folks in your organization? The natural question, of course, he continued, is why we would ever do that. Give so much time to so few, especially when they are the most difficult and often least productive of the group. The answer might be that we're convinced that if we give them more of our attention, we might be able to make some headway with them, raise their morale, and increase the effectiveness of the organization. But as study after study, not to mention personal experience, demonstrates that's almost never the case. Why? Because dysfunctional people, he writes, usually aren't looking to be changed into functional people. That's part of their dysfunction. And unhappy people, oddly enough, are actually only happy when they're unhappy. Well, that's not quite accurate, he wrote. They might like the idea of being happy, but their pattern and what they're used to and in this sense, what makes them happy is being unhappy and letting others know it. This, of course, he concludes, is why leadership can be so draining. You give so much attention to folks who are underperforming and see such little improvement that it wears you out. Or you give so much of your time and energy to the folks with the worst attitude and most complaints that it brings you down. For the most part, I don't disagree with my friend. It's true that the biggest complainers, the most demanding people, the difficult ones in any organization or any group take a disproportionate share of the energy and attention. And that often seems wrong and unfair and unnecessary because most of us would agree that in terms of resources, there is only so much to go around, only so much time, only so much energy, or to put it in parable language, only so much seed to spread around. There's only so much seed. If that's true, why waste it on bad soil? Why throw it on the heavily traveled path where the birds will eat it, or the rocky ground where it won't take root, or in amongst the thorns where it will be choked off? And so in the parable for today, the question that keeps popping up for me isn't the question of why some seeds grow and some don't, or why some disciples fall away and others stick with it. The question for me is this, why does the sower waste the seed? 
Why does he even throw it on the path or on the rocky ground or among the thorns in the first place? Why waste it? If we're talking about my friend's illustration, we could put it this way. Why give 80% of the attention to 20% of the people, especially if the 20% is demanding and dysfunctional? If we're talking about international soccer matches, we might put it this way. Why give any attention to the stupid fan who runs onto the field in the middle of the game? Why not do what FIFA recommends and turn the cameras away? And if it's the parable we're talking about, we would ask this. Why doesn't the sower save the seed for the good soil alone? Why waste perfectly good seed on obviously bad soil? Because face it, we are pretty convinced that we know where the good soil is. We're pretty certain that we know what it looks like. We know a blacktop parking lot is not good soil. We know a floodplain is a bad place to plant your crops. We know a baked out plot of ground will not grow soft and moist produce. We know that you don't plant your tomatoes in among the poison ivy. So who is foolish enough to scatter seed indiscriminately? Who is foolish enough to scatter the seed anywhere other than the place where it has a chance to actually grow? Why would we invest our precious resources in a place or a person or an institution or a project that is going to grind up our contribution and spit it back out? You can blame the seed for not growing, but doesn't it make more sense to blame the sower? Shouldn't the sower start being less carefree? Shouldn't the sower start paying attention to the difference between good soil and bad soil? Except there's this. How do you really know what is good soil? Because so much of what happens under the surface of the soil, under the surface of life, is hidden from us isn't it? Let's step back and consider this possibility. What if what appears to us to be the sower's foolishness is actually a form of trust? Trust that seeds might grow even in the unlikeliest place that good and productive soil isn't always where you think it is, that what looks shallow might actually be deep, and what looks rocky might be rich. As I read the news, I've been paying attention recently to the outbreak of another intense round of violence on the West Bank including the deaths of two more Palestinians in Nablus and one near Ramallah at the hands of the Israeli army only about five or six days ago. Those incidents came on the heels of raids in the Janin refugee camp that killed 12 Palestinians and wounded 140. Retaliation was then carried out in a stabbing attack in Tel Aviv. I find it so deeply disturbing and discouraging So in an effort to search for some small ray of hope, 
I went looking for a story I remember telling in a sermon some years ago. It refers to something that happened in the wake of a previous round of heartbreaking violence on the West Bank. The story reported by NPR was this. A Palestinian boy was murdered in Jerusalem in retaliation for three young Israelis who were murdered by Palestinians. The story that NPR picked up was that some sympathetic and saddened Israelis were coming to visit the family of the murdered Palestinian boy. The family really didn't want to receive them. But their culture of hospitality demanded that they could not turn away the Israeli visitors. One of the Israeli women, a teacher, brought dates and coffee to the family. She told the reporter covering the story, I personally think that any time one person does something good for another person, this world is a little better. The reporter responded, but do you ever feel that you are just shouting into the wind? No, she insisted, I think it's worth it. But the family did not want her gifts. She said she understood, so she held on to what she had brought. But later, just before she left, they accepted the gifts. As they left the scene, she grabbed the sleeve of the, of the reporter and told him with a small laugh of delight, they accepted my gifts. But even though she laughed, she was crying at the same time. Maybe she hoped that this tiny seed of reconciliation could take root and grow. But she also knew, I am sure, that it could just as easily be trampled underfoot or choked by the brambles. In the moment when the grieving family accepted her simple gifts, it looked like a seed of reconciliation had fallen on good soil. But who knows, because all these years later, the broader conflict continues, the systemic injustice continues, and yet at a human-to-human -human level, we do not know whether that small seed took root or not. It could be, even though planted in uncertain soil, shallow and rocky soil, that one tiny seed offered from her heart and received into the hearts of those who accepted her gifts grew into something good, restorative, and healing. And maybe that's the hope that we seek to live into. Not the hope of calculation or guarantee, but the hope of generous and even reckless trust. The hope of the sower. Instead of easily deciding just who are the difficult 20% among us, those of the hardened path, the thickest brambles, and then carefully turning our efforts, our resources toward what is a good investment versus what isn't. Instead, we wander into unknown or unfamiliar territory, sprinkling tiny kingdom of God seeds, tiny fruit of the Spirit seeds, casting them onto suspect soil with great uncertainty and stubborn hope.
Now, everything I've said so far fashions us as the sowers. But as I finish the sermon today, I want to raise another question. Surely there are many times when we are the ones who sow seeds, but isn't it just as possible that we are the soil receiving the seed? That is, we do scatter seeds into the world, into the lives of others, but aren't seeds being scattered over and into us as well? Shifting our perspective just that much from sower of the seed to soil for the seed raises a different question from a different direction. Rather than judging the worthiness or the receptivity of others, rather than considering ourselves the ones with the seed to give, the decisions to make, the grace to offer, what does it mean for us to be the soil? And this question as well, as soil then, are we sometimes suspect, sometimes shallow, sometimes thick with thorns, but also sometimes dark and rich and ready? Maybe rather than questioning the wisdom or the discernment of the sower scattering everywhere as this person in the parable does, a better question from the story would be this, am I the good soil? Am I the good soil? Am I hardened or shallow or thick with difficulty and distraction and any manner of things that would choke out new growth? Or am I receptive, ready, and nutrient-rich? It could be that in order to be the good soil, all we have to do is stand in a different place, even for just a few moments, step off the path, away from the rocks, out of the brambles, just long enough that a few precious seeds could take root. Or it could be that sometimes we have to work the soil of ourselves, our souls, a bit more carefully, with more diligence, more commitment. Or it could be that sometimes maybe we need to pay closer attention to the seeds that are already planted in our lives and then add more water, seek more sun. To that end, please think for a moment of one good thing you could nurture in your own life right now. One seed that could sprout and grow. One precious goodness you could tend. Forget for a moment the concern you have about seeds scattered everywhere by someone else. Forget your inclination to sit in judgment, your evaluation of whether all the seed that is scattered by the sower across the lives of others might be wasted on them. Forget even all the seeds you think you should be planting in others and just think of one precious goodness that has been planted in you. Because God is planting something in you and you are good soil. You. What seed is ready to grow? In the end, the sower is right, don't you think? Scattering seed everywhere, even scattering seeds on us. Amen.